on this edition of Money with Friends is WeWork, the most ridiculous IPO of 2019. And could it be the most dangerous? The company known officially as the We Company is facing some haters talking about some big red flags that they see as it plans to go public this fall. We'll tell you what they're saying and why it could matter to all of us. Plus, we have guest co-host, certified financial planner and chartered financial analyst, Tara Falcone from Rise Up here with us. That and so much more on this edition of Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast. I am certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, host of the Financial Grown-Up podcast, coming to you from my very grown-up kitchen in New York City. And I'm Tara Falcone, founder of Rise Up, coming to you from my new headquarters in Newport, Rhode Island. This is the money news show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders like Tara from across the financial landscape. Uh, We break those stories down into what matters to you, our friends. We leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. And now we do it for you. Six days a week, all in about 15 minutes. Yes, we've changed the format. And that's why we're a little bit rocky on the beginning. (laughs) At least I'm going to go with that, right? Sure. This episode of Money with Friends is sponsored by Tiller, your financial life in a spreadsheet automatically updated each day. Go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Tiller for a free trial and to support the show. And speaking of supporting the show, Tara, you've been such a wonderful (laughs) supporter of the show. This is your last official taping as a member of the cast, our inaugural cast, our very first graduating class. You'll be an alumna now. Um, of our money friends, thought leader, subject matter experts, all around genius crew that gives (laughs) so much depth and just gravitas and fun to all the stories here on Money with Friends. So, oh my gosh, we're celebrating your last show. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a, a real pleasure. And I just like to say once a money friend, always a money friend. So, you know, don't think of this as goodbye, but see you later, I'm sure. So... And you were with us through so many ups and downs creating the show. We've The show's been evolving. Like I just said, we made a major um, format change just a week ago, and people seem to really love it. We've got amazing feedback. But you've been with us through several iterations of it, through lots of technical challenges that I seem to have behind the scenes that some people are aware of, hopefully not that aware when we get to audio by that point. Uh, but you've been a real, real good sport, retaping some shows and all that. So it's truly appreciated. Of course. Happy to do it. All right. Now, which of our other friends is going to get us into our headline? Hey, it's Steve Stewart coming to you from behind the podcast engineer's desk. It's time for today's headlines only at Money with Friends. All right, Tara, you're it. All right. So we are reading a headlines from Forbes and it's called, uh, written by David Trainer, and it's called WeWork is the most ridiculous IPO of 2019. Now I will caveat this with, I'm not sure if it was an opinion piece or an actual article, uh, the way you read it, it may have been an opinion well, piece. Well, I think it's an opinion piece with data supporting his opinions. Yes, I exactly. Saying. Yes. So uh, it starts off, it says, WeWork now rebranded as the We Company, filed its initial S1, which is its initial uh, public filing with their financial reports and things like that in it, on August 14th. And the company reportedly plans to go public in September. There isn't official pricing information, but the company's most recent funding round valued the co-working company at $47 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, dollars. At this valuation, WeWork would be the second largest IPO of 2019, trailing only Uber. 
WeWork might not be the largest IPO of 2019, but it's easily the most ridiculous and the most dangerous. Goes on to say that WeWork has copied an old business model, i.e. office leasing, slapped some tech lingo on it, and suckered venture capital investors into valuing the firm at more than 10 times its nearest competitor. Uh, And it goes on to kind of talk about all the different issues that he has with it. So no innovation in the business model, just more risk. While WeWork is growing rapidly, the service it offers is not new. There is a Belgian company, IWG, which operates under the brand name Regis. You may have seen those around. Um, It says IWG has more square feet of office space, earns more revenue, actually earns a profit. However, it has a market cap of just $3.7 billion, which is less than 10% of what WeWork is valued at. Um, and so it continues with some other issues that he has, uh, that it's geographic concentration. Uh, IWG or Regis is more spread out across the world in over a, over a thousand cities, whereas WeWork is in just a um, 111 cities, and the majority of its revenue comes from New York, so it's very geographically concentrated. Uh, they have longer lease terms. We work average lease term is 15 years, and they also get uh, cheaper rents. But during a downturn, we work when we locked into expensive leases and unable to find subtenants. Do you want to take the next yes. one? And so, just to take a break quickly, there. Those are a lot of just sort of things that have been. They're not necessarily new information. Those are things that we've known for a while. Those are criticisms that have been out there. And especially the fact that it's it's not a new business model. This is not really a technology mm-hmm. company. This is really a real estate company is the point that they are making. That while there are obviously things that the technology can do in terms of you can probably book space. I, I don't go to a WeWork, but you can work book space on the app. There's all kinds of connections with the community. So there's that technology. But effectively, in terms of how the company runs its business model, it is a real estate company and the and the business model is not that different from other ones. What they've done is innovate in terms of the feeling of community, the decor of the space, and the way that they divide it up is very different. So in that sense, it's been innovative. But there's many other companies very similar that do that now that don't just do the boring cubicles that used to be dominating that space. So that's not new. But it is something that they're pointing out because of the way it's valued. It's valued at so much more than other companies in the space. And the question is, why? Then Does it deserve it? Is that valuation justifiable? Is that valuation yeah. justifiable? Is there really a difference? Why is more worth? Why is one worth more than the other just because of the sort of brand appeal? And we are going to talk about that in a minute. But what you know? <laughs> why do people pay more for certain brands? We are in a time period, if, if anyone follows the stock market and especially the bond market and the inverted yield curve right now, where we are talking a lot about recession. And that's where this article now starts going. So the headline for this uh, sub part is massive recession risk. WeWork's business essentially aims to capture the spread between long-term and short-term rental costs. Landlords want stability and guaranteed cash flows. So they're willing to lease office space at lower rates if a tenant is willing to make a longer-term commitment, as WeWork does. So WeWork gets the space cheaper than a lot of the rivals. Companies, on the other hand, want the flexibility of the short-term lease. So that all sounds good. But here's what they're worried about. They're worried about if this recession happens, then WeWork has these long leases and all these companies don't want that space anymore. Maybe they're going to get smaller. They need less space. Maybe they're not going to rent space. Maybe in this day and age, they're just going to kind of work from home because they have to. So it goes on to say this model only works during times of economic expansion. When the economy enters a recession, companies lay off workers and reduce their office space. And again, 
one thing technology has done is people don't have to work in any office. Very often a company that's working in WeWork, if they needed to cut their costs rather than laying off employees, they could just have everybody work from Mm -hmm. home and cut their real estate costs. Because WeWork, a lot of people that I know that work there, it is not always the most affordable option. So WeWork might find itself losing tenants or having to lower the amount that they charge those tenants. Rapid growth, not delivering profits. So it also talks about the high-risk strategy allowing the company to grow rapidly during the current economic expansion and revenue has been increasing um, 106% year over year. That sounds great. Economic earnings, the true cash flow of the business though, declined from $1.2 billion to $2.2 billion over, um, over the same time. Um, and then let's see what else did we highlight here. WeWork is already getting farther away from profitability during what should be an ideal period for its business model. And this is a big red flag here. Um, corporate governance, governance is almost non-existent. This has been a big trend that a lot of people have criticized with respect to many companies that have been going public recently. And that is how the share structure is set up when they go public. So I'm going to read this and then we're going to talk about this part and explain it a little bit more. Dual class shares, which give total control to founders while preventing public investors from having a say, have become the norm. Sure enough, WeWork's dual class share structure gives its founder and CEO, Adam Newman, total control of the company for the foreseeable future. What raises more flags for WeWork's IPO is Newman's significant history of personally profiting, this is what the author's saying, personally profiting off his position in ways that raise significant conflict of interest concerns, and that includes owning buildings where WeWork as a tenant, borrowing from WeWork, employing family members, charging for the WeWork trademark. So all those things, according to this author, are red flags. Now, it's not to say that it's, it's by definition, it's not good to own a company where the, uh, executives have the controlling shares, but it is something to consider. I mean, it's something that's been talked about a lot, for example, with Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, as a former hedge fund analyst and somebody who has fought a proxy battle against a portfolio company because of some of these corporate governance issues, what worries me as a, as a, a investor and a, a shareholder is that when you go public as a company, you are effectively making the decision that now you are going to kind of hold yourself accountable to your shareholders. And if all of a sudden there's these new class, dual class structures kind of coming out, to me, that feels like they're trying to circumnavigate uh, that responsibility or that accountability a bit. And that makes me wonder why, you know, what is it that they're trying to kind of hold closer to the vest or, you know, not allow shareholders to have as strong of a say in the direction of the company. Um, And that, you know, as an investor, that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And just to finish out a little bit more about the article, at this point, trying to value WeWork feels like a fool's errand. After all, it's obvious the company's $47 billion valuation has no connection to its actual fundamentals or market opportunity. So I think they're basically saying it's expensive. They're hating on the company. I think it's important for people to actually look at the numbers and make a judgment for themselves. Also, companies that are overvalued by their fundamentals, that doesn't mean that they won't go up when they hit the market. There's momentum. There's just investor sentiment. Sometimes people just like the idea of owning a certain company. So it's not to say that it couldn't be a good investment, even if all of these things are completely valid and factual reasons. This is very much, like I said, an opinion piece with facts and people Mm -hmm. should, or data. And data can be presented in different ways. So I would urge everyone, if they're interested in this, to go through and make your own judgments. But the overall theme is really something that I think we can relate to as consumers, which is look at something and decide, 
is it the same as its peer group and the rivals, only you're paying more for it because of of the brand or because of the shiny wrapper that it's coming in because of the momentum, because of the buzz, maybe it got, you know, some influencer on Instagram, um, buzzed about a certain, you know, item of clothing. And so the same exact item is going for more than its peers just because it's getting this buzz and all of this cachet. And that's something you have to decide. I always say, look, if you want to buy makeup in a fancier compact for four times the cost that's fine if you know what you're paying for. You're just paying for the packaging and it's okay to pay for packaging if that's your thing. But just understand what you're paying for and understand that the fundamentals of this company based on this data may be very different from its peer group and the business case may be very different or may be very much the same and know what you're getting when you buy it. Yeah, I love the uh, example of makeup, Bobby. I also think of, you know, the difference between brand name and generic drugs um, or, you know, prescriptions. And then also, you know, kind of like the the store brand ketchup or pasta or, you know, whatever it is versus like the, the uh, you know, more well-known brand. It's, it's those kind of situations where it's like, well, we all do comp analysis in our daily lives. Uh, but when it comes to things like IPOs, they're just so speculative and, you know, they're really much more short-term plays a lot of the times than they are longer term plays. So it really depends on your strategy. But the takeaway for me is that like, this is how I like to phrase it. Wait, Exuberance. Takeaways yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that's what we were doing. Nope. Oh, nope, we I always to, jump the gun. No, sorry about it. We have to, we have to talk about tiller. Oh, the so tiller. Let's take a break yes, before we do our takeaways. And by the way, we want to tell everyone that we taped this in front of a Facebook live audience. We would love for you to join us. You can get the information about how to join us by going to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com or moneywithfriends.net. All the information is there. You can also just go to facebook.com forward slash iStackBenjamins, which is the Stacking Benjamins Facebook page, and uh, follow that and you'll get alerts. And uh, how else? Oh, follow us on our on our socials, on Instagram at Money Friends Pod and on Twitter at Money Friends Pod. And we often also preview the story so that if you can't be here with us live, you can often vote in a poll or a question sticker that you can fill out and get your comments and a shout out included in the show as well. So we really want people to do that because this is about doing this for you guys, for our friends. So we appreciate that. We also appreciate Tiller because they are sponsoring this episode of Money with Friends. And the great thing about Tiller is it helps you manage your money 10 times faster. It's all about spreadsheets, but it's about spreadsheets that you can make customized so they work for you. It connects your banks to Google Sheets and to Excel with your daily spending, your transactions, your balances. And unlike financial apps that force you to compromise, these spreadsheets, as I mentioned, you can totally make them your own. Everything gets automated. You can feed in your daily spending, balances, transactions. No more data entry, multiple account logins, all that annoying stuff that you know you're not going to do if you have to do it every day, right? So to get a free trial, two months versus other places, you only get one month. With us, you get two months and you also get to support the show. Go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash tiller and uh, check it out. And a reminder, it is right now, it is through the Stacking Benjamins website because Money with Friends, as you can tell, because we're on the Facebook page for Stacking Benjamins, we're part of the Stacking Benjamins family of podcasts. So uh, we hope everyone can join us for a taping sometime soon. And with that, let's go to our takeaways. Sorry for jumping the gun on us earlier, but my takeaways from this story uh, as a fundamental investor myself is that exuberance gets you to a downturn, but fundamentals get you through a downturn. 
at the end of the day, cash and valuation are king, in my opinion. Um, and I love my man, Warren Buffett. As he once said, it's only when the tide goes out that you discover who's been swimming naked. And I think that when the tide goes out on this market, which it will at some point, um, I think we're going to discover that a lot of these like tech unicorns went skinny dipping in the stock market. So uh, we'll see, you know, at the end of the day, um, those that are actually viable businesses will continue to operate and be good investments. And those that are not will, you know, have to, to face the judgment day. That was really awesome. Is that a common saying that I'm just not aware of unicorns going skinny dipping in the market? Or did you make that up? Is that a <laughs> No, but I feel like I should like that's a Tara original. I, I feel so. like I, I should like get that. that. Should be on a social media post. Like watch there out. may be one the scheduled already, Bobby, to come skinny out. Skinny dipping in the stock market. There may be one already scheduled when this episode comes out. So keep an eye out. Yes. All right. So my takeaway not <laughs> does not hold hold anything close to that. Um that really was awesome, Tara. Um, I want to talk about the fact that we didn't really talk that much about branding and the cachet that can make a company or a stock stand out and create buzz. And it can convince us to pay more, even as consumers, as investors, whatever. So for investors, they've paid more so far in the pre, just in the private markets have paid more for the we company, even though the valuations based on traditional fundamental models don't justify it being worth so much more than comparable companies. We do that a lot as consumers when we pay more for the same product because of how it's marketed or because we just like the packaging or because we just want to be part of the cool company or the cool product that everyone's buzzing about. But the truth is it can lose its luster. And when the market takes a turn, buyer and investor beware. All I right. love it. Very profound. <laughs> so Tara, I'm so sad. This is your last regular appearance. I'm sure you'll be back as an alum. <laughs> this is your last regular appearance on the, the Money with Friends podcast. I can't thank you enough. I know you have a gift for our audience with your new course. Yes, a little parting gift. So if you go to courses.riseupllc, that's R-E-I-S-U-P-L-L-C.com, uh, you can get 20% off of either my money course or my wealth course, or you can buy it as a gift for someone else using the code GROWNUP. 20 in all caps. So please go check that out. Uh, it's a pretty good deal off of our, our retail price. And you also get to be, interact with me and ask me your questions specifically. So that's a little, uh, little extra thing that you get by buying that course. And where else can people find you? You have a very busy schedule this fall. <laughs> so I'm most active on Instagram at rise up LLC. Uh, but we also publish videos or try to publish videos to the YouTube channel regular or relatively regularly. And, uh, that can be at youtube.com slash Rise Up LLC. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tara. You've been such a joy to have <laughs> as part of our cast and uh, we'll have you back. Of thanks. course. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Definitely check out our webpage, moneywithfriendspodcast.com for future tapings and join us. And uh, thanks for all of your support. Thanks for all of your reviews and have a great day. Bye. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Our engineer is the amazing Steve Stewart. And for a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. 
as with anything. Remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with a real episode of Money with Friends.